Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show that focuses on people and organizations making an impact in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105 Through the Fan, and our very first guest is Ms. Diana Pollock, the Executive Director of Creative Arts Center of Dallas. How are you doing, Diana? I'm great. Thank you for asking. And happy Mother's Day. It is Mother's Day today. I know, and I have three children. Any special? Any yeah? Any special plans, or is it going to be a surprise later today? I don't know exactly. I think my son's going to take me to lunch. Um, he better. <laughs> he better, and he better bring some chocolates and some flowers and the whole nine yards. Exactly. That'll exactly. work. Well, hey, we are all excited about the Creative Arts Center of Dallas. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I understand you guys are just east of downtown Dallas, about four miles away, in a big campus. Correct. Correct. We are 56 years old. We were founded in 1966 as a visual arts school and community arts center. Mm -hmm. And we have very deep ties to the community. Uh, We were founded by a Mexican immigrant by the name of Octavio Medellin. And uh, the school was originally founded in Oak Cliff in the uh, studio called El Sabil, which was originally Frank Ray's famous Western artist. You'd have to look it up. But, But he... Octavio taught for us for about 20 years, and the exciting thing about this year for us um, is that he is having his first ever museum retrospective at the Dallas Museum of Art, and it will be up through January 15th of 2023. Okay, that's going to be great. And and tell us a little bit more about what you guys do, because I understand you reach out and do some things for uh, underserved community kids, teenagers. We do a lot. Yeah, we do Mm -hmm. a lot. So in addition to our core classes and workshops, which we offer 500 a year, uh, we do a lot of uh, work with underserved communities, um, Mm -hmm. marginalized and at-risk communities. And, oh, boy, I don't even know where to start. There are about six programs. Um, Well, let's let's break it down a little bit. I know a lot of them are all they're all important for different individuals. But what are some of the things that you guys offer? Because I've heard so many wonderful things. Signature programs that we've been doing for a long, long time about 12 years now is a program called Camp Metalhead. It's offered in the summer to underserved and at risk teens ages 13 to 17, and it provides job skills training and arts instruction in welding and jewelry. Ah. It's a six week program. We feed them, we give them tons of Gatorade because the poor kids in the welding mm-hmm. area are out, you know, under a pavilion, but it's hot. Um, so they learn to use tools such as acetylene torches, arc welders, pneumatic hammers, you know, all that stuff that they really wouldn't have access to um, mm-hmm. in a regular school environment. So that's that's a, one of our big programs that I, I'm super proud of. Um, we started a new program last summer, and it's actually blown up, actually. it's a We completed it last summer with the Office of Arts and Culture, and they, uh, our teens completed murals at both the Bathhouse Cultural Center and Oak Cliff Cultural Center. Okay. But it wasn't just a teen mural painting program. It was really a program to teach teens about how to create a mural and the respect for, even though they used spray and did some graffiti-type work, mm-hmm. you know, how do you respect the community? And sure. Where do you, you know, you're not supposed to graffiti on certain areas. I love the way you're breaking this down. I love the way you're breaking this down. Yeah, where you're breaking the law and where you're sure. not. And we, taught, we taught them all about the history of mural making from, you know, around the world, um, and then particularly in Dallas, and they got to tour I do a walking tour of uh, the Deep Ellum murals, which there are mm-hmm. nearly a hundred now. And um, then we just absolutely just like Friday night completed uh, our third one with in the Dallas Arts District at the Block Party. Uh, we did this in collaboration with uh, De- uh, Arts Magnet, 
the Booker T. Washington yes. School for the Performing uh, Performing and Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. We used a muralist by the name of Fred Villanueva, who was just amazing with the kids. He's actually a graduate of Arts Magnet, so he you know knew how to connect with them. And um, we're ultimately trying to figure out what to do with that mural because it's pretty big. It's I think forty by sixteen. Uh, wow. It's monstrous. It's done in panels. So he's got it in his studio and ha- needs to put some finishing touches on it. And we're hope- hoping to find a place to install that because the kids were uh, got to go to the DMA exhibit. Were inspired by. Octavio's work, mm-hmm. and they zeroed in on one particular piece that they wanted to recreate. And it was a piece that Octavio had done for the Zaragoza Recreation Center. It was supposed to be a mosaic, so he did a drawing to present you know, to the Public Art Committee, and it never got realized, and now it's realized, you know, like... Uh, Gosh, you know, 40 years later. That is fantastic. And you know what? I, I love this whole project you're talking about because literally you you tell kids, you know, you can do some some um, murals and they can they can last a lifetime. They can actually become s- such great art that you become you can become famous. I remember back in the in the late 70s and early 80s, Andy mm-hmm. Warhol in New York was taking kids off of the street who were doing the graffiti and he actually started using some of their artwork and doing collaborations with them, and they became uh, art projects that became worth millions. And I can just see what you guys are doing with some of these kids who just are graffiti kids. Exactly, some of them are. I mean, and but but there's a way to channel that. Yes, I know there. I know we're in West Dallas. There are some green. You know, some of the buildings over there are sure, Trinity Grove. They can actually where you can actually go up and participate, and it's legal. Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't. Exactly. Just graffiti hang over the freeway and graffiti exactly. off the freeway. Dangerous cops will get you. Right. You know, so, so you know. No, I love it. I, I love it because everything you're saying is there's a way to do it. And you mentioned, like I said, at Trinity Grove's over there. They show you how you can channel your energy, your, your artisticness, and you could actually exactly. wind up being an artist maybe down the road. And you can get paid for all of this. And more importantly, your art will stand the test of time because it'll be part of the of the city or the community that you're from, and people will want to keep it there. Exactly. You got it. You named it. Um, you know, we also have a number of collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have a, we have more programs that we haven't talked about, but sure, in go terms ahead. of collaborations, we thrive on them. And we don't just collaborate with other arts organizations like Booker T, like we just did with the Dallas Arts District Foundation and Booker T. But we collaborate with a lot of social service groups um, and uh, and other art, you know, we do the arts organizations, but we have a longstanding collaboration with Cafe Momentum. And you, I don't know if you're yes, familiar with Yes, I them. am. That is, that is awesome. And they do a lot of work with cooks and chefs and get kids off the street who like to cook. And they get paid. Yes. They get paid. So it's a year-long internship program where they're not just paid. They're given a tremendous wraparound services around social social services, mm-hmm. trauma-informed care, because most of these kids are coming from, you know, trauma situations. And so it becomes kind of the family. And so we've done a lot of work with them. We've also worked with The Bridge, which is Dallas's largest homeless uh, service center. Mm -hmm. We've done shows with homeless citizens um, to show and sell their work where they sell it. You know, we we do a show for them at the Creative Arts Center, um, have an opening. It's up for a few, you know, a few weeks. And all the money goes to them. We don't make any money off. We're not trying to do that. So... We're not trying, you know, a lot of galleries will take a percentage. Um, we're not doing that. And then um, we also offer the kids from Booker T come for figure drawing classes at Arts Magnet every Friday night in the spring and the fall for during the semesters. They will be there uh, uh, t- tonight, actually tonight. And then we'll have an exhibition that opens next Friday. Uh, and it'll be up for a couple weeks um, just because we got to get the work back to the kids, so it's not going to be a long exhibit. But DISD doesn't allow you to have a nude model in um, mm-hmm. your classroom situation, and so we found a way to do it off-site. Parents sign a liability release. The students know what they're getting into. But these mm-hmm. are kids that are going off to conservatories and visual arts schools and so on that need those kinds of pieces for their portfolio. And we've been doing that for about 10 years. Fantastic. I mean, 
what you guys do is so awesome. Again, we're talking with Diana Pollock. She's the executive director of Creatives, Creative Arts Center of Dallas, and you say you guys have been around so long. Were there any situations or times where you thought, oh, wow, we might not make it? And I know you've been there for 16 years, and it's been there a lot longer than you, but, you know, sometimes in the uh, in the giving area or the ph- philanthropic world, it can be touch and go. Well, actually, it's a good question because when I got there, it was kind of scary. Uh-huh. I came in. Uh, I came in, and really, it was a. I came from a. I came from the. Come. I, I came originally from the for-profit world, so I had a marketing and public relations background. I worked with a lot of reporters like you, and um, when I got there. It was, yeah, the building was falling. It's a WPA-built school. It was built in 1935, where we're located now. And, um, you know, the HVAC was not good. The roof was not good. So I started pounding out grants right and left my very first week. And Mm -hmm. we started getting money. And little by little, I mean little by little, we we came back, and now we uh, we have 344 students currently enrolled in this session, this uh, spring session at the Creative Arts Center. It is the all-time highest enrollment wow. we've ever had in the history of the organization, and wow. that's a long history because we're 56 years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're doing really, really well. Um, we were very, very fortunate to be able to open at half capacity during the pandemic. Yes, please um, tell us yeah. about that because I know oh. a lot of people had to make oh. pivots or they had to uh, reduce the staff. Or Yeah, please tell us how you guys survived. We never reduced staff. Um, we didn't pivot except we started offering some online classes, mm-hmm. uh, which we're continuing to do because we think there's a market for online classes. There are certain people that like to learn that way, and it sure. also doesn't limit you to Dallas. You mm-hmm. can go, you know, there's students in, in South America or Europe that are taking classes virtually with us. So we um, we didn't pivot. Um, we opened at half capacity in June of 2020. And we just kind of stayed there for the first year. And then the second year, we went to 75% capacity. And when I say we were at 50% capacity, there were like three or four students in a class. Very small. Right. Very and social distance. Yeah. Social distance, mm-hmm. PP, PPE, out the sure. wazoo, um, mask, obviously. Oh, and yeah. Then, S- and hand then sanitizer we everywhere. I understand. Everywhere. You had everywhere. to do what you got to do. We still have that. We still have that all. Sure. Going. We don't have, we're not requiring masks right now, but we're actually encouraging them. But you know what? Last week. <laughs> it's actually a good thing. I, I was talking to a lot of parents and, and teachers about this with the hand sanitizer. You know, notoriously, kids don't wash their hands enough. So having hand sanitizer around and making that a habit over the last couple of years has been a, a plus a plus for everybody. Yeah, it has been. You're right. You're absolutely right. So we actually did okay in the pandemic. Um, we, you know, it was scary. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember being on a, a uh, I was on these calls with lots of arts leaders over the summer of 2020, well, during lockdown and over the summer, mm-hmm. trying to, what do we do? What do we do? We, you know, we had to create all kinds of policies and take attendance for contact tracing and um, legal stuff with, you know, sure. liability issues. We did all that. But I remember being on a call in August. Uh, we'd been open for two months and there were about 20 uh, arts leaders on the call. And they were asking me, what do you, what, you did it. How did you do it? You're the first. And I was like, well, I, I mean, I didn't want to break it down. I just said, I think you all need a good therapist. Yeah. <laughs> in all really seriousness, yeah. It was, extremely stressful mm-hmm. and and not just for me but for our staff and um i commend all of them for making it through i commend all anybody for making it through oh, yeah. this this stuff and i do have colleagues in the performing arts world which i really feel for who are still just now coming back online yeah um so it, it, it we were fortunate we were very fortunate now you mentioned 16 years ago when you when you uh, started working with you know the organization, it was a little mm-hmm. touch and go at, at some point. I was kind of curious of how you actually got involved in the first place. How what what made you want to be involved with the Creative Art Art Center of Dallas? 
I started my career as a media relations manager, did that for a few years, and then went off on my own and started, you know, because I was raising a family and did public relations and marketing on a consulting basis. And But during that period of time, I served on a lot of boards, and I just decided at some point later in, you know, later in my career when I was going to go back to work full time that I wanted to devote myself to nonprofit because I just, that was where my heart was. And so I went to Mental Health America, which was Mental Health Association of uh, of Texas, but now it's called Mental Health America. And I was there, you know, for three years and then left there and um, went and was at an, I had a two year stint at another, as another executive director, hated it war, I would never do it again. And I was starting to look back in marketing in, in the nonprofit world. I want to stay in marketing and public relations, but I wanted to stay in the nonprofit world. And then I got this call from the search committee at the Creative Arts Center and said, would you come in? And and I just thought, well, that's a really uh, intriguing idea. It's just such a, I'd never heard of it my, myself. I've never heard mm-hmm. of it. And I know there are people that have never heard of us to this day, and it's like salt in my wound. But, because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a marketing person. I understand, so I, I understand yeah. Their um, so I, um, I applied, and I, you know, did a long couple of interviews. I got the job, and was kind of scratching my head. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. I, I, I never had... You know, I mean, I'm so gift. I'm so fortunate that I get to work with creative people mm-hmm. because artists. Uh, well, I believe all of us are creative, but I do the idea of a professional artist. Um, that I I have 45 people that teach there. Uh, we have 45 people that teach there. I they are the most generous, collaborative people on the on the planet, bar none. They give their secrets away, just like our founder, Octavio Mitty, did. He was just as much of an educator as he was a, a prolific artist. Mm-hmm. And I get to work with people like that every single day. So I am super lucky. Exactly. In other words, your job is not a job, it's a career. But more important, and more importantly, you're fulfilled. You, feel, you feel fulfilled. You feel like you're doing things. And being a people person, this is really right in your wheelhouse. Am I wrong? Yeah, exactly. I love going to work every day. Okay, so you talked about the collaborations and and so many artists working there and sharing ideas. You guys like to say the CAC is a safe haven for artists to exchange their ideas. Can you elaborate Mm -hmm. on that, why you consider it like a safe haven? Well, because we don't have judgment. So one of the things that— No, our our, uh, Octavio really set the, you know, set the— stage for that because he was an artist um and i never got to meet him uh but he was an artist that was facilitative and so he was willing to give away his secrets and Mm -hmm. so when an artist is willing to tell another person their secrets which you know some 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 artists don't want to do that but teaching artists um and that's why we we do call them teaching artists um and when Octavia was teaching, there was not a term for that. You know, there he was just a teacher. But um, now, I think the I think the term teaching artist is really a great term because the word teaching comes before the word artist. Mm-hmm. So they have to be a type of person that is willing to facilitate and willing to give uh, and be generous. And um, that's not every artist can do that. I'm not. I'm not knocking artists that don't do that. That that's fine. You know, they they there's many wonderfully practicing artists, but they're not necessarily educators. Right. I know exactly what you mean. And I'm my mind was just whirling about all the different kinds of art that that different artists can collaborate on. And I'm going to go back to your metal work again. The what did you, what did you call it? The metalheads? What was it? It's called Camp Metalhead. Camp Metalhead. And, well, yeah, I want. Camp I want Metalhead. to. Yeah, I want you to go into that a little bit more because the first thing I started thinking of as my mind was whirling was the different metal statues and art that you see around town, including over in Deep Ellum, you got that guitarist that's made out of metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. We we. I mean, it's a low. It's not on that level. I know what you're sure. talking. You're talking about Brad Oldham. <laughs> yeah, but we're not on that level. Of but, course, um, but you got to start but somewhere, you right? Got to start somewhere. But they're learning to weld and learning to use all those tools that go along with that. So, and then there's another section of the camp which is small metals, which really is jewelry, yeah. and which is 
really funny story is when we started the jewelry portion, we thought it would be a thing that girls would want to do. And, you know, because, you know, welding's outside, it's hot, and it's, you know, sort of macho. And uh, Or in high school, they call it the shop class. That's not what happened at all. Yeah, that's not what happened at all. Okay. The girls want to do welding. Mm-hmm. The boys want to do jewelry. Look out. We, you know, we just, yeah, we we, we got that wrong. But um, so it's just a mixture of all kinds of kids that come to to do the camp. It's that is cool. so fantastic. There's a couple of spaces open in welding, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but jewelry is full already. I can believe that. Summer. that. I can totally believe that. If you ever look at some of the TikToks or Snapchats, Kids, even if it's not real, they love jewelry. They love, you know, to flash and drip. That's what they call it, like the drip. Exactly. And so, they get to do that. And they can be very creative over there at the yeah. uh, Creative Arts and Center. We, and we have a lot of other programming. We have a program called Art as a Second Language, mm-hmm. and that's really just a fun name for drop-in community-based arts, family-friendly arts activities that we hold throughout Dallas. We will be at Clyde Warren Park. Nice. This weekend on Mother's Day from 2 to 4 with a couple of artists. We're there usually every month. We do work with the Arboretum, Dallas Park Beautiful. Rec, uh, mm-hmm. Dallas Public Library, North Park. Um, some of this has got to pick back up from the pandemic. Sure. I just got a call from the Fair Park folks that want to do some stuff. They're trying to activate arts around around uh, Fair Park now right. with all the development going on there. So hopefully that will work out. And um, that's fun. And then we have another program called Memories. It's been called Memories and Mosaic. We're going to change the name to Encore, uh, but it's a creative aging program. And unfortunately, in Dallas, we have very little programming for seniors. Um, well, we got to do something about that. That is absolutely true. For the legends. The yeah, exactly. So it's a new, that's a good, I'm going to steal that. Legend. There you go. Go like for that. it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um so, yeah, it's a creative age. We did it last summer with St. Matthew's Episcopal Church for low-income seniors, which is in East Dallas. Mm-hmm. And it culminated, it really focused on mosaic, you know, everything that goes, I mean, it built, it was skills building where they got to do printmaking and collage and painting, and but ultimately they created a mosaic. And um, we're changing the name so we're not limited to that discipline. So we're going to be doing more work in the creative aging area, and I'm excited about that because it's it's a huge market. <laughs> I'm 68, so I'm in the market. So I get it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I'm like one of those people that might do that someday. Um, <laughs> I and, hear you. Uh, well, you know what? Boomers and Gen X are getting older and older, and they are just the largest demographic in America. It just is what it is. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, and in my age, you know, the people that are still living that are my age are mm-hmm. are really wanting creative outlets. I mean, and you know, the, the creativity brings out so much in people because it keeps it, when you have programming for people with people who are seniors that can get out in community. It you know reduces isolation. Exactly. Um, it impacts mental health. I mean, there's lots and lots of studies around this. And so I'm hoping to see more, not just us doing this work. So, um, and then we have another program called uh, Unseen America, and that is an eight week curriculum based program that teaches digital photography to underserved kids living in stressed neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So these are kids whose lives are often unnoticed by the community at large. And so the curriculum focuses on teaching children to document their daily lives. You know what's so you know what's ironic? I I, I wanna I gotta throw this in because you just I think you hit on a home run right here. Because kids oh. nowadays, they love to do that. They're all on Instagram. They're all taking pictures some kind of way, and a lot of them are excellent photographers. So if you get them a digital camera to work with, oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it's also a job skill. Yes. I mean, it's a job skill. Yes, you you can get hired. Right, exactly. Um, You know, it's my belief that we are all, all of us, every single one of us, is born creative. It's part of our operating system, Mm -hmm. and although – it's in our DNA. Creativity must be practiced, not unlike, you know, kind of going to the gym or whatever. Sure. Um, so it doesn't matter whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company working primarily with your brain or a carpenter 
primarily using your hands, valuing curiosity, and I love that word, curiosity, and exploration leads to innovation in whatever you do. So um, that's that's what we do. and I, and I, working particularly with kids, young kids, particularly underserved kids and marginalized communities, um, it allows them to reimagine their place in the world. Mm-hmm. Especially through the arts. they can rewrite their story. They can rewrite yes. their story. They can dare to be great through the arts, and then it, it makes them know. not. It makes them not be as nervous about doing it in other things in their life. Yeah, I don't know if you remember David Brown, you know, the police chief that was here. Of course. Uh, yeah, Chief Brown is a good friend of mine. He's yeah, in Chicago good, now. Good. Well, I've heard him. Yeah, he's going, you know, he was here during the, the horrible thing that happened here. He and saved he, everybody with the parade. He showed all the cities how to react to tragedy. Yeah, but he, I've heard him speak before, and the thing that he has keeps saying over and over again in his talks is that the arts saved him. Yes. The arts. He was in theater. He got mm-hmm. into theater in high school, and it really channeled him, and it saved him. Otherwise, he might have not made it out of the circumstances that he was, you know, born into. So, there's all kinds of stories like that, and oh, usually, yeah. usually, it's the arts mm-hmm. um, that truly impacts somebody in the way they may not. They may not end up in the arts, like you know, Chief Brown. Chief Brown. Yeah, uh, but it encourages but, them to express themselves and you wind up doing it in positive ways. But it also, like you said, it, it makes them feel comfortable in like, I can do this or I can try this. Right. It, it makes you building. Yeah. It's very, yeah. there you go. Confidence building. Yeah, exactly. So what is exactly. coming up this summer? You mentioned a couple of programs and things you're doing. You mentioned what you're going to be at Clyde Warren Park uh, today and this weekend. Uh, this past weekend, you've all been doing those. So, what's coming up this summer that you might want to let everybody know about? So, we'll do one pro. We'll do a program with the Bathhouse Cultural Center over in East Dallas. It's right. going to be a team mural White Rock project, Lake, just like we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we will do. Uh, we will do. Oh, this is a program I haven't even talked about. It's called Artability. We'll do one of those of this summer at least, maybe one, maybe two. Well, what's that and about? Liability serves people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. Okay. So uh, we've had this longstanding program, probably about six or seven years now. We meet about four times a year. We just had it last weekend, so we're not going to do it until probably mid-July. But it helps young people. It's not just. It's not for kids. It's for really adults, young sure, adults. Sure, young adults. adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it's you know, very popular. And we have a a pipeline of people that really come and want to be a part of that. And it's uh, free, you know, they don't have to pay for it or anything like that. So that's another program we do. So we'll be doing that this summer on July 16th. And then the Camp Metalhead program, the teen mural painting program at the bathhouse. Gosh, I hope that's it. I mean, obviously our classes and workshops, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, that we normally do, and then probably some art as a second language programming out in the community. I know we're going to be at Clyde Warren in June, and you know, seems like we're going to. I think we're going to be at Fair Park in June. I don't have those dates yet, but um, we'll be out there. You'll see us. Oh yeah, you're ramping back up again, and it's so wonderful. And again, you guys provide such a great outlet for so many different people, including the underserved teens. Hey, Diana, I've got to have you back on the show. Can we do this again in the fall? Yeah, absolutely. All right. She is Diana Pollock. She's the executive director of Creative Arts Center of Dallas. And where can you find more information about Creative Arts Center? Should should they go to the website? And is there an email address or any other way they can contact you or maybe partner with you? The best email, you know, we have an education manager that we just hired two weeks ago. I'm so glad. So info at creativeartscenter.org is probably the best way to just learn about us in general, ask questions. We're, 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 we're there. Fantastic. And of course, everybody's online nowadays. So check out the website and then get involved because that's the best release. And that's the best way to feel good about yourself and feel fulfilled. One thing, I mean, if we have time, we do tours every Saturday at 11. Um, we're starting those back up in June Oh, good! and we love families coming in, even though the kid might not be able to take a class at the creative arts center. Mm-hmm. It is a great way for families to introduce their children to working artists and see how people work in the arts. Cause we have, you know, everything going on on Saturdays. I mean, it's, it's insane there, you know, welding, stone carving, glass, 
painting, drawing, you name it. Um, so it's a great way for kids and families to kind of experience the arts without even having to commit to a class or a program. That is awesome. And by the way, they can uh, find that address at creativeartscenter.org. But tell us the physical address. 2360 Laughlin, Dallas. It's in an old WPA-built school. It's the uh, Bales School, but not, you know, there's a current Bales School that mm-hmm. moved, you know, in the 50s, so we've been there for a while. We've been there since 1990. So it's off of I-30 and Ferguson Road. Excellent. Diana, thanks for joining us this morning, and happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is Mental Wellness Awareness Month here in May, and joining us right now is a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Fonda Bryant. She is a mental wellness advocate and suicide awareness counselor in North Carolina. How are you doing, Fonda? Uh, I'm doing okay today. Today's kind of been a rough day, but I'm here. Thank you. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay, and I'm bringing this up and saying okay because let's talk about what's going on at the high school that you're at because just off the air, you mentioned to me that something might have happened or you were able to prevent a possible suicide attempt. Well, I got here um, this morning at the high school where I work and um, was sitting in my office when one of the uh, administrators came and got me and said that they needed me ASAP because a student, a female student, had tried to uh, take her own life. And um, actually, the Huntersville police um, found her and asked her why wasn't she in school, and she told them that uh, she was on her way home to kill herself. And um, they came and got me. I didn't know the student. And um, by the time I got where she was, she was um, on a stretcher and she was kind of hysterical crying. And I only got a few seconds with her, maybe a minute. But in that minute, I just let her know I had been where she was, that she could get through this. Uh, She wasn't alone. And I put my wristband on her. And um, that was about it. But it just really... You know, just the scene itself um, really was triggering. And then on top of that, it's an administrator that was here that seems to be more about business Mm -hmm. than helping, you know, than being compassionate. Because in that moment, I understand there's a protocol in the schools. I understand that. But at the same time, compassion should rule out everything and anything. Showing empathy and compassion. And, you know, that's just not what I see a lot of times. I know administrators are burnout. I know teachers are burnout. But these kids really do need empathy and compassion and kindness more than anything right now. Listen, Fonda, you, you, you're, you're speaking the truth, especially this time of the year. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, and I talked to you yesterday, you were out, uh, out on the streets in Carolina, and by the way, you've impacted a lot of people's lives all over the country, especially here in North Texas as well. But you were you were out on the streets because you were handing out signs, right? Could you talk about what you were doing yesterday? And then I'm going to talk about a situation that impacted a lot of kids here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay. So um, one of the things I like to do for Mental Health Awareness Month is I want to bring attention to it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I do is I go uptown on the corner of Minton Moorhead, uptown Charlotte, right across from Panther Stadium, and I hold up signs. And I give out green ribbons. And so yesterday I didn't have my green ribbons cut, but I held up a sign that says, Honk for Mental Health Awareness Month. And I'm telling you, it was like being in a traffic jam. So many people were honking their horns, giving me the thumbs up, yelling out the window, thanking me for what I'm doing. People were smiling. It was really nice. And on the other sign, I had make mental health in 2022, make your mental health a priority. And that's something I truly believe in because as each year goes by, especially since this pandemic, it is getting worse and worse. And I, you know, when we lost um, 
Naomi Judd on Saturday, and mm-hmm. we can talk about this later, I'm sure, and I was out walking to bring awareness to suicide over 21 miles. One of the things that I said was depression needs to be put in the same category as a stroke. It needs to be known as a silent killer because it's killing so many, but yet we look perfectly healthy. We don't have the empathy and compassion of society. So that's another reason why I get out there on the streets. I'm going to do it once a week for Mental Health Awareness Month. I do it for suicide prevention or even when I just feel like it. I want to bring attention to mental health because everybody has it. A mental health condition, one out of five adults, one out of five children. So for me, when I get uptown and do old-fashioned advocacy work, it just really lifts my spirits because so many people get it. And it also will start a conversation. And that's my biggest thing that, you know, they see me standing out there. People were taking pictures. I could see them in the cars. And that will start a conversation which hopefully will lead to breaking down the negative stigma that surrounds mental health. You know, that's part of the deal. The people who are suffering from depression, they feel like, well, I don't want to bring this up or people won't understand. And then there are others who don't understand it. And they feel like, well, that person is just not strong enough. They're just not, they're softer. You know, you could go down the list of the people who are judgmental and that's what makes those who are suffering from depression hard to talk to people. And and I, you, you told me this years ago, talking to someone can help more than people know, right? Yes. You know, it's a, um, you know, I train people and how to recognize the signs of someone in crisis or suicidal. And one of the things I tell people, it is a myth that if you ask someone if they're suicidal, it's going to increase the chances of them taking their own life. That's a myth. It is a fact that if you ask someone if they're suicidal, it lowers anxiety, it gives them the opportunity to let you know what's going on with them, and it gives you the opportunity to save someone's life. Just simply listening to us, and above all else, you cannot be judgmental. Because if you're going to be judgmental and say, well, how can you be depressed? You're Miss USA. How can you be depressed? You're Naomi Judd. Mm -hmm. We just need someone to listen and understand because mental health does not discriminate. It doesn't care that you're Naomi Judd, Chesley Chris, or Fonda Bryant. It treats us all the same. And in that moment, we feel like no one cares and no one understands. And above all else, why we don't come and talk to people is, again, because if we feel like you're going to be judgmental and we're already feeling hopeless and worthless, then we're going to shut down and we're not going to say anything else to you. So if you're going to be willing to listen to someone who is suicidal, who may be in crisis, you have to learn to keep your opinion of how you feel about suicide, how you feel about mental health to yourself, and be able to listen and help them to get the help so that they'll want to live. We're talking with Fonda Bryant. She is a suicide awareness counselor, a mental wellness advocate. And just a few days ago, there's a young lady that grew up in this area, in the Dallas area, who was a freshman at college at Southern University. I'm not going to say her name right now because she's got a lot of friends and family, and I'm going to do this out of respect, but it's, 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 it's really heartbreaking what happened with her. Um, she decided to jump off a bridge into the Mississippi River. But before she left us, she sent a message on Instagram to her family and friends. And I'm just going to read part of it because it's heartbreaking. And I wanted you to talk about how family and friends can cope with a situation like this. And she says okay. she's so she was a cheerleader at Southern. And it just seemed like everything was going her way in her life. But you, like you say all the time, People have no idea what's going on in someone's, in their personal life or in their minds. She said, quote, may this day bring me rest and peace. I have fought this urge since my early teenage years. I gave this life all the fight I had. To everyone who has entered my life, I am so grateful, and I can only imagine how this may find you. I have been surrounded by people who may have honestly thought that I was okay, but I haven't been okay for a while. I struggled so much through this year alone, from COVID to tearing my ACL to nearly failing all of my classes. To the people in my life, I pray that you learn to vocalize your feelings and get help always. I failed at that. 
and I'm afraid it's too late. I'm not going to go on. It's, it's very emotional, but you can, you can imagine right now a lot of her friends and family are just totally devastated. Can you talk about coping? Because you've been doing this and talking to so many people for years, and I think your words mean a lot to those who don't know how to react to something like this. Um, first off, I want to say to the family and friends, the university, um, her teammates, her classmates, that I am sorry for their loss. I know how painful this is because the thing is with suicide, unlike murder, unlike uh, natural causes, unlike car accidents, is the questions. Why didn't I know? Why didn't she come to me? Why didn't I see it? And I tell people all the time to not to beat yourself up. But down the road, I do tell people to get educated, to learn those signs, because we're not always flailing our arms saying, oh, my God, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're struggling. Uh, it can be very subtle. And I'm looking at her picture right now, and she's doing exactly what so many of us do, smiling, posing, putting on that front. We're okay. We're fine. But we're not fine. We're struggling. And everything that you just read, I I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Because as I told you again, depression is the number one debilitating disease in the world. It also is the number one disease that can cause us to die by suicide. There's not a lot of empathy and compassion for people who have mental health issues. We're weak. We're selfish. We're crazy. We're violent. And who wants to come out and share how we're feeling with a mental health condition when you have that. And then I'll give you a stat that's alarming, and I think it's higher than what it is. I read a stat the other day, and I knew it anyway. It said that 63% of black people feel that a mental health condition is a personal character flaw. A personal character flaw. 63%. I think it's higher than that, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. So for her to have to go through that pain of taking her own life, it breaks my heart. Because in our society, we are a reactive society. We wait till something happens. And then everybody is throwing their arms up and saying something, oh, we need to do something. And she's an athlete. And then I say with female athletes, they're even more intense when they're cheerleading or playing sports. Mm -hmm. She now joins four females. Uh, When did she pass away? When did she pass away? On Thursday. On Thursday. So that was the 1st of May, if I'm not, uh, this past Thursday? Yes, it was, it was, it was, it was the, actually might have been Wednesday when they were able okay. to find her. They found her, okay. I think, Thursday morning. So you have three, in, in three months, May you've had 4th. Four, four female student athletes die by suicide. You had Katie in Sta- at Stanford, mm-hmm. you had the female at Wisconsin, the track star at Wisconsin, that died on April 15th. You had the female just last week or two weeks ago at James Madison, mm-hmm. and now you have this young lady. I always ask this, how many more? How many more are we going to have to lose before people wake up and realize that suicide is not a personal character flaw, but a global health crisis? that is preventable. Suicide is the most preventable death of all deaths through education and caring. So for her family, I'm not beating them up because I know how hard it is, but at the same time, we as a, as a community, we as a culture, we as a society have to do better by people who are dealing with mental health issues. If she had broken her arm, you said she had, uh, had Achilles issues, they will take her to the doctor immediately to get her help. Mm -hmm. We have to have that same sense of urgency to get someone help. Because you know why people don't want to get people help? Because they're afraid they're going to be mad at them. I can't do that. They're going to get mad at me. When I called my Aunt Kelly 27 years ago and told her she could have my shoes, and she called me back and asked me, was I going to kill myself? And I said, yes. She went into action like a superhero and saved my life. She didn't care that I was mad at her. She didn't care my grandmother was mad at her, and she didn't care that my mother was mad at her. All she thought about was saving my life. 
So I always tell people, you got to be like Aunt Spanky. Everybody needs an Aunt Spanky because you got two choices when it comes to us being suicidal. You can either A, help us, and yeah, we might get mad at you, might not ever speak to you again, but we're alive. And eventually we'll get over it, but if we don't, we're alive. And, or you can do nothing, ignore the signs, and be going to a funeral and live with the pain that, man, I could have helped them. And that's what I tell people. It's no, it, it, you, you can't be, it's not cut and dry. And I mean, but that's it. Either we help people who are struggling and don't even worry about us getting mad, or we do nothing and go to a funeral. And that pain is never going to go away. And it's something else people need to know. When somebody dies by suicide in a family, it increases the chance that someone else in that family may die by suicide. So anybody that has siblings or friends, you need to go and talk to someone. Talk to a therapist, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have support groups all over the country. They have on their website, um, if you've lost someone to suicide, if you've attempted suicide, I urge everyone to go to that website, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and find some resources to help you cope or go and talk to someone. You know, Fonda, you've told the story before, but I want to refresh everybody's memory of no one has heard this because I think it's important when you talked about your Aunt Spanky. Aunt Spanky didn't just casually just beat on your door. She called the police on you. Yes, she did. And and that's what I tell people. You, you have to do, do what you have to do, right? You got to do what you have to do. We can get mad. And so my story, in a nutshell, was 27 years ago on Valentine's Day, I had no idea I was dealing with clinical depression, the beast, as I call it. And um, I had been working full-time, had a son that was doing good in school, had my own place. I thought we were doing pretty good when depression hit. And the thing is, I tell people, a mental health condition is not just uh, in your brain. It affects your whole body because your brain is the most powerful organ in your body. And it can make you do things that you never thought you would do when you're not well. So not knowing that I had depression, some of the signs were I wasn't eating. I just wanted to go to sleep. My appearance changed because I was so tired. I didn't really care what I looked like. My work suffered. And this is a litmus test for mental health, everyone. We all have days that we're down. We all have days that we're full of anxiety. But if it lasts for more than two weeks and it starts interfering with your everyday life, you need to go talk to someone because it will get worse. It will get worse. So for me, that's exactly what happened. It was getting worse, and I didn't know. And on Valentine's Day, 1995, I was in excruciating pain from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And it's not that you want to die. You just want that pain to go away at that moment. But if someone can come along like my Aunt Spanky did, a superhero, and get you to help when you can't help yourself, even if it's having you involuntarily committed, that's what you have to do. Because if it wasn't for my Aunt Spanky getting me the help that I needed, I got handcuffed and put in a police car and taken to a mental health facility, I would not be here today, and neither would a whole lot of other people that I have helped. So I'm telling anyone who has a loved one who is struggling, and they get to that point of, I want to take my own life, you have to do whatever it takes to get them help and worry about the consequences later. This is Mental Health Awareness Month here in the month of May in 2022. And, of course, I got the great Fonda Bryant joining us this morning. And, Fonda, um, I'm just curious, is it a coincidence that May is Mental Health Awareness Month? Because I think a lot of people uh, at the end of May, a lot of kids graduate from school or they graduate from college or they just – go home for the summer. In other words, there's a lot of transition that happens. And I didn't know if that was a coincidence because I know there's a lot of people that have anxiety this particular time of the year. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I want people to know. Unfortunately, we are in the peak of suicide right now. Uh, More suicides occur in the springtime and early summer more than any other time. Most people think suicide happens um, 
the holidays, in the winter months, Christmas, the holidays, and, yeah, that's not true. We don't know why. So that's another thing. Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm not sure of how it came about, but I'm glad we do have May. But at the same time, this we're in the peak of suicide, and it's almost like you're seeing it. We already lose 125 Americans a day. 17 veterans a day, and close to 4,000 Americans attempt every day. And even with me sharing those stats with you, they're skewed because it's a whole lot worse than what we realize because of the fact that there's suicides that happen, but they mark it as an accident. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody drives their car into a wall, right. they're marked an accident. I'm ac- I accidentally shot myself while I'm cleaning my gun, and there's no cleaning stuff around the gun. So they market different ways for different reasons. So we're never going to get the exact fact. But I will let everybody know right now, we are in the peak of suicide right now, all the way until early summer. So I tell people, have those conversations. Talk to your children. Mm -hmm. Let them know whatever you say to me. I'm going to help you. I am not going to judge you. Your coworkers, if your coworkers seem a little offish or they're coming to work and they're not acting like they normally do, go up and ask them, how are you doing today? The best deterrent, Chris, to suicide is not even the QPR training that I do on the regular. Simply caring, checking on people, asking people how they're doing. Are you all right? Are you okay? And listening can save someone's life. Could you talk some more about the QPR training? Because I think that's important. I have been doing QPR training. I am a certified QPR instructor. And what QPR stands for is Question, Persuade, Refer, Suicide Prevention Training. Most people have taken CPR, correct? CPR is to help someone who is in a physical crisis, having a stroke or heart attack. QPR is the same thing. It is for someone who is in a mental health crisis or suicide. In two hours, I can train anyone, youth included, how to recognize the signs of someone in crisis or suicidal, talk and listen to them in a non-judgmental way, and be able to refer them to resources. Like I said earlier, suicide is the most preventable death of all deaths, and anyone can save someone's life. You do not have to be professional. Once you get finished taking the QPR training, you get a certificate that lasts for three years. You are a certified gatekeeper. You can take it every three years. You also get a QPR booklet and a resource card. And when I finish training and send people the information, I always tell them, print out your resource card, type in NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Y'all have a great one in Dallas. Yes, we do. uh, Everyone has, you have the state office in Austin. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a NAMI, Texas, California, North Carolina. You can go to those websites, find resources, free resources, and support groups so you will be able to help your loved one or yourself to get help. And it really, when you go to those support groups, especially with family members and um, people who have mental health issues, you do realize you're not alone because so many times when you're struggling, you feel like you're alone, but you're not. So I urge everyone to find those resources and get the help that you need because guess what? Recovery is possible. We can recover and we can get on the road to wellness. But what I will tell people is that a mental health condition is not some quick fix. It's not a quick fix. It is an ongoing journey. Popping a pill is not going to do it. Going to therapy is not going to do it. You have to put in the work every single day and find those good coping skills to put in your mental health toolbox. So when depression is kicking your butt, anxiety, bipolar, whatever you're dealing with, you reach in that toolbox and you get that out to help you to cope. And also I tell people, who have loved ones, who have mental health issues, to go on those NAMI websites, Mental Health America, because they have um, every mental health disorder listed. Learn about that mental health disorder that your loved one has so you can help us and not enable us. You know, I'm so glad we have you on again. Uh, We've got Fonda Bryant on. And you mentioned something to me uh, a couple of days ago that you wished that a lot of schools educated kids uh, on mental wellness 
in uh, suicide prevention, somewhat like a lot of schools have training, unfortunately, nowadays for uh, shooter awareness. You know, if, if someone has a, a weapon and you say you think it could save lives, could you talk about that just for a minute? Oh, no doubt, um, because I do stu- – um, one of the great things of being at this school that I'm at, the principal was a therapist before she became the principal, so she gets it, and she has given me free reign over here to help students. So one of the things that I did before they broke for their Easter break, I trained 105 students in QPR suicide prevention training, mm-hmm. including 75 student athletes. And one of the things that I feel like is it should be mandatory from fifth grade all the way through to college. I think it should be mandatory for student athletes because they sure. are their brother's keeper. They are their sister's keeper. I think they should be trained I think they should be trained in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL. I think Baseball. everyone should take this training because one thing I noticed when my son was in college was that when one of his teammates had um um taking some medication that didn't work for him. He didn't reach out to his coaches. He called his teammates. Yep. They call each other. Yep. So for me, it should be mandatory in schools because kids know. Every time I do a QPR training, I ask the students, I say, how many of y'all are struggling or you know somebody's struggling? Everybody's hand goes up. Everybody's hand goes up. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a perfect example of how these students can save a life. My first year doing QPR training during the lockdown uh, for COVID, uh, I had a young lady who took my training, and she was a band. Uh, she was in the marching band, and um, one of her friends was going to hurt themselves, and she took the training. And as soon as she got finished with the training, she called the school and told the principal, "Hey, my friend is going to kill themselves." And the school went into action, and that young lady saved her classmate's life. So don't tell me that training does not save lives because the thing is, once you take that training, you get that spider sense. Mm -hmm. You look at people, how they behave. You look at them more closely and you listen to what they say more intently. Because like I told you, everything, when somebody's suicidal, it's not all saying, oh, my God, I'm going to kill myself. It can be very subtle, like, you know, pretty soon I'm not going to be here. Or, hey, I want you to have this. Or they might start drinking or uh, self-medicating, mm-hmm. or they're sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, that's when you need to start asking questions. Or did a situation happen where that person might think about hurting themselves? Are they having to move? Or did they lose their job? Or did they lose their starting spot as a student athlete? Those are the kind of things that I teach people. Also, there's cryptic language out here that people need to be aware of. You just said something about the young lady the cheerleader that died mm-hmm. about rest and peace. Guess who else said that before they died by suicide and put that up on their Instagram? Ooh. Chesley Chris. Oh my goodness. Said the same thing. Yeah. Because when do we usually say rest in peace? Rest in peace when we're dead. When somebody's dead. When they passed They away, were saying yeah. in big bold letters, "I'm going to kill myself." But if you don't know that. If you don't know that cryptic language, you just think, well, maybe that's odd. Mm -hmm. But if somebody would have recognized that, you can have a wellness check done on somebody in another state. I have done that. Where I saw something on social media and it didn't seem right. That's right. And I picked that phone up and you can call 911 in your state, have them to transfer you to that state. And as long as that person has a city, state, and their name, just about everybody has a driver's license. Mm Mm-hmm. They can run a check and go to that house and do a wellness check, and I have done that. There's other cryptic message, uh, language. I had pasta for dinner last night. I saw that article on Yahoo. You would say, oh, man, that pasta must have really been good because they put that up on social media. No, that's not about the pasta they ate. That is code for I'm going to kill myself. I'm thinking about hurting myself. Or... I finished the shampoo and conditioner. You would really think, hey, that's really strange that they put that up there. That's also code for I'm going to kill myself. I'm thinking about hurting myself. That is the training that I do. And once you get that training, as I said, you get that spider sense. And that's why I keep pushing people to take this training because it can and will save lives. You are a godsend, Fonda. Happy Mother's Day. Today is Mother's Day. Is there a message of uplift that you could pass along to some of the mothers and sisters and brothers and fathers of uh, people who are dealing with mental wellness and mental health? I just tell everyone, uh, 
and thank you for saying that. I just tell everyone that anyone can have a mental health condition. So if someone comes to you, be willing to listen without judgment and help them. And I want to tell everyone this again. Treat people with empathy, compassion, and kindness. You never know what someone is going through. A smile can hide a lot of pain. And with people you have, you know, you look at people and think, oh, they got the world at their feet. They got everything going for them, but you have no idea. So, again, I tell everyone, treat everyone with empathy, compassion, and kindness. And I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there and all the fathers who are doing mothers, you know, who are single dads and Mm -hmm. stuff. Happy Mother's Day. But everyone, please Take care of your mental health, because if you don't take care of your mental health, it will not take care of you. Self-care is not selfish. So I hope a lot of moms and dads out there will take Mother's Day and use it as a day of self-care. Fonda, thank you again for joining us. She is the great Fonda Bryant, mental wellness advocate and suicide awareness counselor. And she is, of course, all about the QPR training. And we want to thank everyone. For joining us today, I'm Chris Arnold. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations and individuals doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. Happy Mother's Day and so long, everybody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.